Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Spawncast. That is the Spawn Wave podcast for you guys. We're going to try to make this either weekly or bi-weekly, depending on how often we can get guests on here. But today, I am joined by my co-host, Evan, hey. also known as Kimricks, and then I also have Game Over Jesse, who's Jesse, right over there. <laughs> yeah. What's up, everybody? So Glad I said your name here. twice, Game Over Jesse and Jesse, yes, uh, but... <laughs> Glad to have you here. Do you want to do you want to tell the the audience a little bit about you and how you got started on YouTube and everything? Yeah, uh, basically before I started uploading my own uh, YouTube videos, which lately has just been Breath of the Wild and Nintendo Switch news, somewhat similar to what Spawn Wave does on his channel. And before I started getting into that, I was a writer for a few different websites like Zelda Dungeon, Zelda Informer, and other Nintendo-related websites. And it basically got to the point to where I, instead of using other websites as an outlet to get my opinion across, I wanted to get my own opinion across on something that I was in full control of, and that sort of developed into my YouTube channel to where I can just discuss whatever it is that I want to talk about without someone saying, hey, you can't talk about this, or no one's going to be interested in this. That so, makes sense. Yeah, that way you don't have a boss, basically. So that you're, you're just the <laughs> boss then, right? That's the idea. Right. Yeah. yeah. Evan Evan and I have, have tried many times to do like a, uh, like a website like an IGN or something like that. But the, yeah. the amount of time and effort with that is, is tremendous. So it yeah. ends up, it becomes very difficult. We, I know Evan, you also did uh, a couple things with Ander and that got really difficult as well. Yeah. It always looks so much easier from far away. Well, they, I mean, if you go into their offices, they have like, you know, 30, 40, even 50 people there working all the time. So yeah. it's a, uh, it's a difficult thing to get into. I think YouTube's a little easier just because, of course, you can record, you can talk, and then you can you can publish it. So, I think, of course, that's easier for one, even two people to, to kind of do. Yeah. Um, but it's still it's still a lot of work. So I won't I won't say it's not work, but uh, it's definitely easier than having to write a thousand to ten thousand words a day. <laughs> so, but so the the obvious thing going on right now is the is the Nintendo Switch, and I know uh, Jesse, you do a lot of uh, Zelda on your channel it's yes. a lot of like uh I, I see you do a lot of like the zelda theories and everything so yeah it used to it was uh zelda theories but as we're getting closer to the breath of the wild launch uh more people are just interested in finding out as much as they can about the game mm -hmm. as opposed to uh theorizing about the lore of some game that came out 10 years ago but uh, they will return sometime. See, that's the one game that I think would actually get Evan off the computer to play a console game is <laughs> Zelda. Because um, I know, I know, Evan, you played uh, Skyward Sword, right? Uh, for the most part. Eventually, it got to the point where the puzzles did start feeling a little repetitive, and yeah. I haven't gone past that point. Did you play? Did but, you play? Um, did you play Twilight Princess? Also, I can't remember. Yeah, GameCube version specifically. Oh, nice. Okay, you like you like that one more than Skyward Sword, though. Oh uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. It's a, that's the that's the consensus. Most people say Skyward Sword is the worst Zelda game out of most. Uh, I shouldn't say all of them because there's, of course, the ones on the um, the CDI. But well, it's yeah. uh it's it's considered one of the worst mainstream Zeldas by a lot of yeah. people. I think. Which yeah, kind of sucks because the it, the whole opening to it built this world that could have been amazing, but I guess the game design itself kind of crumbled the further in you get. I think a lot yeah, of the a lot of the motion controls probably hurt people too. What were you, what were you saying, Jesse? I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to say with Skyward Sword, the main reason a lot of people didn't like it, of course, is obviously the motion control, which some people 
just don't like it. They prefer playing with a regular controller. Mm -hmm. But for those that were able to get past the motion controls and actually enjoyed it, what a lot of those people didn't like about it is when you think of Zelda, you usually think about this huge open world with all of these dungeons and towns connecting. You know, like a traditional open world type mm -hmm. of game. But in Skyward Sword, there was no connection between all of the main territories. It was just segmented off places. There was the forest overworld, the water overworld, and then the fire overworld. Mm -hmm. And instead of having a huge field or world connecting them, they were just kind of branched off on their own. So it kind of took away what a lot of people actually liked about the Zelda series. So that's why right. it... It seems like they go yeah. from that to Breath of the Wild, and it's just a complete 180 with that. Yeah. And uh, a big reason that Skyward Sword was made like that was because it was trying to compete with games at the time on the 360, PS3, and PC, mm -hmm. which were able to have these massive games like Skyrim, but obviously the Wii was very limited in what it was able to do. So... Uh, to work around that, they created the painting artwork style mm -hmm. because instead of where it had a poor draw distance, instead of having things just completely disappear as you got further away from it, as most games do, they made it to where it kind of blended in with the background to make this painting type art style. And mm -hmm. another big thing about it was... Uh, having a huge open world connecting everything, the Wii wouldn't have technically been able to do that so that's sure. why you had these segmented off places yeah nintendo does a lot of uh, a lot of good things i guess to make weaker hardware be stronger like i mean i still can't believe that uh mario galaxy 2 was on that system it's just a great looking game yeah so it's uh yeah, but that's that's kind of sad for the whole segmenting thing because if you think to the past with other games the similar ones that use that painting method to kind of beat the draw distance we got shadow of the colossus on that list and it was all one giant massive seamless world yeah so that's kind of weird that they didn't figure something else out yeah. well with chat with shadow of the colossus like you didn't need any of the cpu power to go towards ai or anything because there was just the overworld bosses that you had to fight in uh the places that they were located in so there wasn't like tons of enemies running around or npcs and stuff like that it was just basically you in the open field hmm. so let me let me ask you uh jesse other than other than zelda what is the other what's the next zelda or next switch game i should say that you're looking forward to that's i don't want to say too far out but but within the next three months uh i think the next big one everybody's looking forward to is uh the super mario odyssey but getting nearer to the launch window i'm really looking forward to ukulele well, yeah, that that's gonna be good. I'm gonna yeah. I, that might actually be a game that I end up buying twice, more than likely, one on my Switch and probably one on my PS4, or my computer. Actually, maybe my PC. Actually, yeah. Um, but that game looks awesome, just because I'm a, a big Banjo Kazooie fan. Yeah, it's um, that that's the same debate that I'm having. Should I get it for PS4 or should I get it for the Switch? Obviously, the PS4, you're gonna have the trophies and everything. It's going to look somewhat better. But with the Switch, you're going to be able to take it on the go, so it's kind of the pros and cons, yep. which is better for you. Yep, yep, exactly. I, Evan, have you seen anything about ukulele? Yeah, I keep up to date with it occasionally. I love all the nostalgia games coming back as like something different. Yeah, you know, did you that. see they did like tie the Tasmanian Tiger or whatever on the on Steam? Did you see that? Yeah, that was awesome. Like I actually I bought that because it looked so cool. <laughs> it was like <laughs> ten bucks or something, wasn't it? 
Uh, yeah, it was pretty cheap. But I always love it when companies do that or when people from companies do that. Like, I loved following the guys from Blizzard North up through Torchlight, Titan Quest, uh, currently Grim Dawn, stuff like that. I always love it when the games like that continue in life through those creators in some way, shape, or form. So Ukulele seems like a pretty amazing thing coming out. That's actually, I remember Titan Quest, I actually had to update my, my video card from a FX, <laughs> FX 5200 to a 6800 GT back then. Um, anyway, yes, that's, uh, I see I'm in the, uh, I'm, I'm currently in the fast RMX camp right now. That's the game I actually really want to play. I did, I didn't get a chance to play it when I actually went to the event to play the switch. Cause I actually ended up filming most of the time in the beginning. And then it was kind of like a race against the clock to play everything, but it was, it's a cool looking game. I do like that. It's 1080p 60 frames, even with four people on the same screen. And it's just, it looks like a callback to F-Zero. So I'll, I'll probably be playing that too. And we found out today that it's coming out at launch. Awesome. Yep, so it will be a launch title along with Shovel Knight, actually. So Shovel Knight will be on there. And that's another game that will do very well if you haven't already played Shovel Knight like eight times already like I have. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a game that I really liked on the Vita. So ah, having it on nice. a bigger screen with a higher resolution... Uh, but still being able to play on the go will be great for me. Yeah, that's uh, that. See, that game though gets that when you when you start getting further into it, gets to the point where you're kind of clenching your palms most of the time. So I, I feel <laughs> yeah. like I'm gonna end up crushing a Joy-Con in that game. Um, <laughs> there's another game that got announced, uh, Celeste. It's like an indie indie game. Have you seen that? I haven't heard of it yet. It, it's kind of like Super Meat Boy. So that's another that's another game where you might crush a Joy-Con just playing it. So it's, <laughs> yeah. there's like spikes everywhere, and you have to do a bunch of air dashing and everything. So. It's uh, it looks like it'll be cool. I do. I I'm looking forward to it. Of course, it's going to be very hard to get a switch, uh, after launch. Now, I did hear though that GameStop is getting initial, uh, their initial launch, and then after that, they're getting a separate amount that's allocated to them for walk-ins on the day it comes out. So yeah, I, I feel bad for all of the people that are having to go through scalpers. Last night, I was just looking on. Amazon and some other sites where people were reselling uh, switches Mm -hmm. and all of the questions and answers that you could see in the reviews and stuff was Mm -hmm. just everybody complaining about uh, people charging like $600 for a switch and then you still get it like two or three days late because because you have to to wait. Right. You have to wait for them to get the original shipment and then they ship it to you and you're basically paying twice as much to get it after everybody else does oh, so it man. really sucks for those people that is rough that is not something i'm looking forward to <laughs> yeah but you you and i both have seen that so much with so many different things over mm-hmm. the years john just yeah, yeah. if you um part Je- of. yeah jesse if you didn't know I, actually a lot of people don't know because i don't really talk about uh personal life on youtube at all but this is a good chance for people who listen to this podcast to get the little little bits of exclusives here into our life um evan and i used to work for what was it six or seven years evan Seven, I think. Seven years. We actually worked together at a video game store. Um, and we were the people behind the counter who would either fix game consoles. I have talked about that in my on my videos, that I, I did spend a, a good chunk of my life repairing game consoles. Um, or we would be ringing people up. So we'd always get the games, you know, ahead of street date. They would show up at the store. And uh, so for a while there, we would see scalpers try to come in and buy, you know, five systems at a time. And specifically, yeah. I think... Which system? I want to say it was the Xbox One, but it might have been the it might have been the the DSi or the 3DS where people were trying to buy them up like crazy. I know it was yeah. the Xbox One. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we had the people come in that one guy come in that one day for the Pokemon Go Plus yes. device. Yes, 
he That's bought right. out everything in the local Walmart and the Game Stops and all of it, and he was making sure we didn't have any. <laughs> That's right, I remember that. But you you just got yours the other day, didn't you? Oh yeah, yeah. So you're you're fortunate on that. It was it, those are very hard to get, uh, Jesse. I don't know if you've gone around looking for those, the Pokemon Go Plus bands. Um, no, I, I haven't. They've recently uh, become easier to get, but at one point they were retailing for about thirty or thirty-five, I think, and then they ended up selling online for about a hundred bucks. So yeah. See, I actually have a similar experience to where I can relate to what you guys were just talking about because around the PS4 and Xbox One launch, I was actually working at GameStop during mm. uh, the midnight release for the Xbox One. So mm. I had to come in like two or three days before the launch day where we had all of the boxes. There was two Xbox Ones for mm. each uh, shipping box they were in. And I had to take out like maybe 30 different Xbox Ones and just stack them on top of each other against the wall and then organize like all of the different games and everything. And it was, you know, almost half a week before anyone else would be able to get their hands on it. And I'm just looking at this huge wall of Xbox One and (laughs) Xbox One games. See, I worked on, I worked, I actually worked at GameStop back uh, when the PS2 was actually still around. And that was, uh, that was, but when God of War 2, I think, came out, because I remember when I went for my interview, they gave me a demo disc for God of War 2, but when uh, when the 360s came out, yes, it was it was pretty crazy, just like that, where you're stacking them, like, to the ceiling, and then the Master... I remember the Halo 3 came out, and they had the Master Chief collection, well, not the collection, but the one that had the helmet and everything with it, Yeah, and we had so many of those, but we actually had them a week before it came out, surprisingly, and we actually had to put, like, a tarp, a black tarp over it in the back, <laughs> because people couldn't see it. But of course we actually, I don't care now because I don't work anymore. We actually ended up opening one up and, and playing with it and everything, which we probably weren't supposed to do. So Yeah. <laughs> I have a, a friend that works at target as mm-hmm. a manager and she was sending pictures of like all of the Nintendo switch promotional stuff as they would come in. Like they had a huge display, but they weren't allowed to open it or move mm-hmm. it around. They had to wait for a Nintendo rep to come mm-hmm. there before they could set it up. So it's been interesting seeing how Nintendo's been dealing with uh, their release of the Switch. So let me let me let me jump to something with that real quick. Nintendo's marketing for the Switch has actually really caught me off guard recently. I think just leading up to the event, they have not been acting like how Nintendo usually does with their marketing. Uh, going as far as to hire John Cena to help promote the switch i don't know if you saw that at all but yes uh, i i seen a a fun little joke on twitter obviously john cena's in wwe his things you can't see me and i seen someone had posted a picture of him playing a nintendo switch and it said nintendo didn't tell us that the switch could float yeah (laughs) because he's Uh, holding it yeah (laughs) right But it's um it's interesting that they do stuff they're doing stuff like that right now pulling in people that would appeal to like an American audience as opposed to just being strictly like they would do stuff that would really just benefit the Japanese crowd and now they're doing yeah. a lot of stuff to try to sell to the American crowd or even outside of Japan so yeah, yeah I, the I, marketing's become interesting now I believe John Cena it's really good uh, smart for Nintendo not necessarily just for the WWE fans, but I think he's hosting like the kids choice awards for Nickelodeon Uh, or something. That makes sense. So like if they have something tied in with that, which I guess most kids would be watching. Mm -hmm. uh, So if they have some kind of marketing or commercials popping on and then John Cena is in the commercials while it's being played on the actual choice awards, then that may be a way to get all of the kids that 
just know their 3DS as the handheld unit and don't necessarily know about the Switch yet, mm-hmm. maybe it'll get them to where they see it and then they start begging their parents to go out and buy it for them. That actually makes a lot of sense, yeah. So I, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised by their, their marketing. I think they're setting themselves up well, and I think the sales are obviously showing that since everyone sold out of it, so... Um, yeah, but let me uh, let me jump from there over to the the other side here and talk about Horizon Zero Dawn. So I don't know if you've seen anything about this game at all, Jesse or even Evan. Yeah, it, it's basically a more mature uh, Breath of the Wild, sure. with a, yep. a bit more of an RPG element than right. Breath of the Wild has. So, so I have not played the game at all. Um, I, I, I remember I sent away to get a uh, to get an early copy, but I never heard back, so that probably means they didn't care. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't admit that on the podcast, but yes. Um, they, uh, I've been watching a lot of video for it. Now, I'm going to get it when it comes out and probably just stream it, but it looks really cool. I just like the open, I guess, the open concept and the idea of robot dinosaurs, but... I was hoping it would also make its way to like the PC, but I think that's going to stick with the PS4, maybe even for its lifetime. Um, Evan, yeah. Evan, did you watch any of the gameplay or anything for it? I did, and I kind of liked where they were going with not just the open world. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. at this point in time, we're almost expecting open worlds for sure. games like this, and like larger creatures is starting to become the thing. Like, how big of a creature can we put in your game? But in this one, it's more the point of impact damage that I like. Mm-hmm. The whole like. The individual creatures have, like, if you shoot it in the knee, it's going to act differently. And it's that kind of procedural response to things that I'm really looking forward to in the game. Sadly, I'm probably never going to play it if it doesn't come to PC. (laughs) Well, I don't know, Evan, if you're on this channel, you might need a PS4. Maybe we got to get you one. Are we going to get one for the office? Yeah, we're going to get one for for my my basement. is Sure, the office. That's what you want to call it. (laughs) Uh, One thing that I think is really unique about that game is how you can sort of... Uh, well, for those that don't know about the game, a big part of it is that it's basically like a futuristic, post-apocalyptic kind of thing to where all of the wildlife is like half biomechanical. So they're mm-hmm. basically living robots. And they kind of act as the enemies, but you can also hack into them to kind of make them companions or use them to ride around and attack other uh, enemies. So it's it's really cool how the AI and the enemies can kind of work with you sure. instead of only against you. That, that looks good. I mean, like I said, I, the, A, the AI in that game looks great. The AI in Breath of the Wild looks great, even though they're basically very similar games. I think they'll both be pretty good on their on their respective consoles at this point. Um, both, yeah. both releasing in the same week, too, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the similarities are really crazy. Like, whenever uh, Skyward Sword released, a lot of people compared it to... Skyrim because they kind of launched around the same time because traditionally Zelda usually an open world game and then Skyrim at the time was the game that was taking open world to the next level so there was a lot of comparisons there that I don't really think were fair Mm -hmm. but with uh, Breath of the Wild it's being compared with uh, Horizon Zero Dawn and I think those comparisons are fair because at the end of one of my videos I read a bunch of the developer and publisher descriptions on what they had to say about the game and how they described the world, the story and everything. Mm-hmm. And if you just read it without context, it sounds exactly like Breath of the Wild where you set out on your adventure not knowing what's happened to the world. You just know that uh, 
enemies and weird mechanical things have kind of taken over and as you play through it it's your job to kind of figure out what happens and then it says there's like the rpg elements and stuff like that as you level up different weapons and use uh different items to craft and make stuff sure and it sounds exactly like breath of the wild but it's not so it's really interesting to see how these compare with each other and i just hope whenever it comes to the actual reviews from IGN, GameSpot, and all of the other websites, I hope they don't directly compare the two because uh, they might give Horizon Zero Dawn an unfair score because it doesn't live up to what Breath of the Wild is, and vice versa, they may give Breath of the Wild a lower score because it's not doing exactly what Horizon Zero Dawn does. Sure. Yeah, I think at this point, Horizon Zero Dawn has its... uh has its reviews and it did it did pretty well a lot of places i think ign gave it like a 9.3 and most of the other places gave it hundreds so it, it did well um but i do think breath of the wild will get a similar review score just because it it looks good now let me ask you one other thing about breath of the wild jesse do you know how many temples and everything are supposed to be in it uh the shrines which are kind I'm of just, the I'm, mini dungeons i haven't looked at any spoilers uh, but i'm just curious at this point how many of the mini dungeons are supposedly supposed to be in there yeah so there are 120 exactly 120 mini dungeons or what they're calling a shrines Mm, uh which if you're listening to this and you're familiar with past zelda games the shrines are more akin to kind of what the ice cavern was and or the bottom of the well for ocarina of time to where it wasn't a fully fledged out dungeon it was more of a mini dungeon and the mini dungeons in this they can be one or two room puzzles and then it takes you five minutes and you're out or they could be these massive underground shrines to where it takes up to 30 to 40 minutes to complete. Mm-hmm. So it really varies on length uh, from shrine to shrine. But there are also four dungeons in this game. Uh, the original rumor was there was going to be four main dungeons and over 100 mini dungeons. Mm. We know we got the confirmation on the mini dungeons and the exact number, uh, but we don't know if there's going to be four main dungeons. So okay. uh, that's still up for debate. It, it just sounds like there's just going to be a lot of stuff to do. So I'm, I'm really excited to get this game next Thursday night. Are you are you doing a midnight release, Jesse? You're going to attend one of those? Or you just uh, go the next day? I was hoping I would have been able to get a copy from like GameStop, Walmart, or wherever to where I could go at midnight and get it. Mm-hmm. But I was only able to order it through Amazon. Okay. So okay. that hopefully i i've heard some people like ordering xbox ones in the ps4 during launch day sometimes they were lucky and they actually got it the day before Ooh, nice so i'm hoping hopefully with huge luck i might get it the day before that way i could still play it around the same time everybody else does otherwise i'll probably get it late in the evening the next day where everybody else has already had their live streams and information sure. up sure yeah and i'll be behind so yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting day next Friday when everyone's just live streaming that game. <laughs> yeah, um, and the what what I really really hate is where Nintendo isn't that experienced with their online kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I I hope there isn't server issues when people do get the Switch because everyone's going to immediately be downloading Breath of the Wild and maybe some of the other games. So I hope it doesn't get to the point to where if you don't have the physical copy, it's going to take you six or seven hours just to download Breath of the Wild yeah. because all of the millions of people are accessing it at the exact same time. So it tells me to buy physical. So 
<laughs> yeah. Um, but not just for the collector's value, of course, but just to have, obviously, to have it day one and um, not have to download it. Now, speaking of downloading, they're supposed to have a day one patch, um, and hopefully that addresses one of the biggest concerns right now, which if, I don't know if you were paying attention to this at all, Jesse, but there was an issue with the Joy-Cons connecting to the system. Uh, I haven't seen that. Is okay. that something so, new? Yeah, this came out today, and what happened was, of course, the embargo lifted today, the 23rd, and yeah. everybody, of course, is showing off their Switch, and <sighs> what happened was Game Explain figured out that if you have the, I believe it's the, actually, they showed it, it was either one, but they were, the left one seems to be getting most of the flack. If you have a barrier in front of it, specifically your body or your hands, it will actually lose connection and start dropping out signal yeah. uh, to the point where it's unplayable. Like you'll see the joysticks like freezing basically. So Link will just stop running and then he'll just start running in a completely different direction and you can't stop him. So oh, that, that does suck. It seems to be a problem and they demonstrated it. it's on Game Explains YouTube channel. They demonstrated them covering it with their hands. It would it would happen. They would put it behind them. It would start happening. So it seems to be an issue with strangely not line of sight, but just interference with having something around the Joy-Con. Now, right. I, I do think it's something that could be fixed with a firmware update because it's probably something to do with the Bluetooth 3 uh, the just the, the either the either the amplifier the gain going to it uh, more than likely it's something that should be fixed, but I'm hoping that's not something that's left out on that day one patch because people will point that out like crazy. Now they didn't do anything with the pro controller. I really would have liked them to take a pro controller and try covering that up to see if it has the same issue because uh, I'm getting a pro controller as well and I really won't use the Joy Cons much once I turn that pro controller on. But yeah, everybody's talking about the little baby buttons. On the Switch Joy-Cons. Yeah, the, the Pro Controller is a good controller. I used it. Um, the only issue I, I think a lot of people seem to have are there's no analog triggers. Basically, when you hit the triggers, they just kind of click and that's it. Uh, but overall, it's a good controller. It gets 40 hours of battery life. That's insane. Which is obscene considering my PS4 controller gets like six hours of battery life. <laughs> um, I was yeah. playing I was playing the Division today and I didn't get very far without it dying. So <laughs> I, didn't, I forgot to charge it last night, so that's why. But... Um, I'm looking forward to the Pro Controller, but I'm a little concerned about the Joy-Cons not having good connectivity, uh, just obviously because there will be certain games you'll want to play with it. Now, when I played ARMS, I had no problem, so I'm not really sure why that was yeah. the case. This actually seems like the biggest problem would come from people playing 1-2-Switch, as mm -hmm. that's the game where you're actively up, moving around, and it's not just you, it's another person playing with you, so... Uh, I wonder what kind of problems that game will have with desyncing and everything. Well, I played 1-2-Switch for a total of like three minutes because they had me do the cowboy game where you shoot the other person. That took a total of 20 seconds, not even. <laughs> and then uh, they had me do the marble uh, game where you put it on your uh, palm and you roll it around to feel how many marbles are inside of it. And that did really well too, but again, I didn't do anything with actual like motion or using it for anything with one two switch other than those two things and the milking game was not there when i went up they just changed it back and forth but when i did play like mario kart it played fine but of course the joy cons were like attached to it so it's going to be something that i'm sure will be talked about heavily when the switch actually gets into the wild for the public to use um so let's uh let's jump over evan you uh you've been doing a lot of pokemon go right 
solid week, basically, of playing. Okay, cool. Because I was going to ask you about this new update that came out. Because I, I, I picked it up again today after you told me all about it yesterday. And it, it seems pretty cool. I like that there. it's a little harder to evolve your Pokemon. But did you want to give us an idea of what, what exactly has changed so far? I know you're working on a video, but... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the- I got I got the video coming up, but it's a, t- a couple changes that are like more quality of life that you and I have both wanted in the game for the longest time. In particular, I guess prior to this patch, they mm-hmm. added in the multi-selecting for transferring to get candies, which if you remember way back, it was always just click Pokemon transfer, click Pokemon transfer, and it was, that was endless droves. Yeah. yeah. So they finally fixed that, which you'd think they would have fixed it a lot sooner, but, I mean, it's fine. But uh, on top of that, you know they added the rare items, which I did some math today, and it's kind of annoying. I In the past week, I think I've hit 250 Pokestops, and I've yet to see an evolution item. Those are the stones you were talking about, or, or item that would help the Pokemon evolve, minus just having the amount of candy, right? Yeah, well, you need the candy and the, the item, so mm-hmm. it's like the steel coat and all that. Um, so it's cool that it's in-game, but all I all I see whenever I go on any forums or Reddit or anything mm-hmm. are, is everyone that lives kind of in the middle of nowhere just hating this game because they have to drive like 30 minutes to get to like the one pokey stop that's in their town. <laughs> that, that, that just tells me that the people in New York or like San Francisco or Chicago, they just have the advantage then, right? Yeah, they they just don't care. Like I have to drive two minutes down the road to Main Street, and that's mm-hmm. where all the Pokestops are for me. I was testing it today since she talked me into getting the Pokemon Go Plus thing. I wanted to see how effective it was, and it's pretty interesting because they did add that twenty five mile an hour, I think it was, limit to the game where if you go above it, all the Pokemon vanish. Your radar Whoa. stops working. Really? And you can, and you can't spin Pokestops. And what? Uh, Wow. I wanted to test yeah, I wanted to test it out. I wanted to have the phone just kind of down and away from me and the Pokemon Go Plus thing in my hand mm-hmm. while I just like did a really slow lap around Main Street. <laughs> it's approximately 25 Pokestops in that run. Mm-hmm. And it was weird. It only like it only picked up about 6. So I think the responsiveness is still not good cuz this this thing's been out for a while. The uh the Plus uh the Plus device. Right. And I don't know. It just doesn't feel responsive for Pokestops, at least. But on an interesting note, mm-hmm. if you're going uh, past that point, it does pick up Pokemon like quickly. And oh, okay. even if even if you don't see them in game, it recognizes them. You just hit the button mm-hmm. and you just keep going. And it'll try to catch them. Now you're talking about on the um the the Pokemon uh the the Go Plus bracelet you got right. Yeah, well, I, I use it as a clip because the bracelet they send you is for baby arms, and <laughs> I don't have those. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they give you like a like a really tiny bracelet. I, so you didn't even open it up to see what it's like, but you just use a clip, like you just clip it to like your pocket. Yeah, or my sleeve. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And then you just so then you just hit the button, and it'll try to it'll catch the Pokemon for you, basically, right? It'll it'll either attempt to catch a Pokemon if that's what it found, or it'll attempt to uh, use a Pokestop, which is weird. Hmm. It's. It's kind of odd the way this works because I tried it once um, where I drove past a Pokestop and then it picked the Pokestop up. Mm. And then I hit it and it took like 10 seconds. Like the Pokestop was good six blocks away from me at that point and it still got it for some reason. Wow, jeez. So like I don't know what the connectivity issue is that makes it have that much lag. But then in the same instance, 
I was sitting at an intersection with three Pokestops around me, and it took it like four minutes before it noticed them. Well, to be, I mean, to be fair with that game, it always seems to have like some kind of bug or issues with it, no matter what. I don't know if it's because it tries to interact with like real world landmarks, but it just, it's always had that weird, I don't know, jankiness to it for me. Yeah. But I mean, they're moving in a good direction, and I like that. I just think Mm. it's too slow still because they have heavily adjusted combat. If you remember when we were heavily playing, combat in gyms was basically just tank the damage, uh, spam click as fast as you yeah, can, just tap don't the even button. worry about your charge. Yeah, and you were just attacking like five, six times because it would you would attack before your animation was done. Mm. They seem to have smoothed that out. The animations have to end. Uh, there's like a queuing system that they applied to the game somehow where you'll attack, and if you click again, it won't attack until afterwards. But there's downsides to that, because uh, if you queue something up that you don't want to do, mm-hmm. then you're screwed, you're stuck in it. Um, it even holds whatever you queued for the next thing after you defeat a Pokemon. So if you double-click by accident, and then the first click kills it, the second Pokemon that pops up after it in a gym, you'll attack it immediately and be stuck in that animation to get hit twice by that Pokemon, because that's usually what happens when it comes up in the gym. Okay. So, like, it's starting to feel like they're smoothing combat out and making it so that, like, the the agile Pokemon feel that way again and that the big heavy hitters feel that way. Uh, but it's still so far away from what it needs we'll, to be. I wonder if we'll ever get Pokemon through NFC. Uh, like, where, you just touch, where you just touch the phones together, the tr- like you trade, but only through NFC. I wonder if we'll ever get cool. that. I just want trading and dueling in general, and I know they, they said something about dueling early this year, mm. and they just hinted that. Like They hinted at it last year, too, so no one's really too mm. sure it, what they're going to do or like how it's going to pan out for them. But at the end of the day, like dueling, great. Uh, trading, great. That'll get it at least to the minimal level of me actually thinking of it as a Pokemon game. Right. But they need to access more about the mobile market and realize that there are people who are kind of stuck and can't just do what I can and drive three minutes down the road and have access to like six gyms and just so many Pokestops. It's maddening it for those people. They need a functional way to play the game outside of that outside of just paying real money. You mean? (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think like, why not just add an event that you don't have to drive to, like a weekly dungeon or something that you can take some Pokemon into and right. see how it pans out? And it could even add to the microtransactions of being able to increase the amount of times you can do it by paying X amount of gold coins or whatever. So um, that's Pokemon Go. I guess we'll just – I assume you're going to keep playing it for the most part, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep playing it, see, and I'm going to keep my ear to the ground for anything coming up because okay. you don't hit this big to try to pull everyone back in that's kind of stopped playing it. Right. Only to then, like, let the ball drop again and be like, well, see you in another year. So I'm just – I'm that hoping it doesn't sense, go yeah. that route. So we have that. Um, I don't know if you've got – I talked to you a little bit about this, Evan. I don't know if you keep up with a lot of the retro news, uh, Jesse, at all. Yeah, some of it. Okay, there was uh, this is something I, I was ongoing for a while. I, I kind of talked about this on Twitter some. So there was a uh, there's a person out there who is trying to catalog all of the Super Nintendo games in their like raw file format that they want to call them as clean ROMs or clean fi- clean files because right now if you go online and you download a ROM, it could be the header could be changed. There could be coding that's different because people like to put their signature on it. 
And what they're trying to do is catalog this stuff just to have like a library for the future because eventually all these games will go away. It just will eventually happen because they're all physical. No matter how much you want to take care of, say, EVO or EVO, for example, that game is almost $300 now because it is it is slowly becoming harder and harder to find. Yeah, there, there are tons of great 8- and 16-bit games that were never brought to newer hardware. Sure. And they were just kind of abandoned on the console, either because the publisher or the developer of the games kind of went away or went out of business or broke up, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So the games were never really brought to the newer consoles, and like I said, they're just stranded to where they're basically impossible to find anywhere unless you have a ROM. So so here was the here's the plan. The plan was for, this person's name is Bew, um, B-Y- UU. The plan here was to start asking for any of the rare games to be sent to them so that they could uh, dump the ROM with what I believe is what they were saying was a custom-made ROM dumper so that you wouldn't be able to send that to anybody because they wouldn't know how to use it. The idea was to have games sent to them, and then they would go ahead, dump them, send the games back. The games, of course, would be very valuable because they're hard to find, so a very nice person, I believe, over in Germany had a bunch of PAL games that they were going to send to BU. So they send the first hundred, they have no problem getting there, they get back, they send another hundred games, and you, uh, the United States Postal Service manages to lose it <laughs> in the mail, and this package was actually uh, worth about $10,000 of a hundred PAL uh, Super Nintendo games. So That is insane. So the problem here, obviously, is this this package is not showing up, so... The tracking shows that it made it was no problem going through DHL, getting out of Germany, getting out of Europe, going all the way across the ocean, and then landing in Jersey City, and then it never leaves Jersey City. <laughs> it just stays there. So about a week or so goes by, uh, BU just believes that this package is lost, starts considering putting a claim in for it, and at their door, a ripped-off part of the box with the label shows up and usps has a letter that says we're sorry your package was damaged by machines and they're lost for good (laughs) so so bu at that point believes that uh somebody at the united states postal service has now stolen this package because it's not common for machines to rip the side of this thing off and then mail it to you because obviously the box would still be near the, the label so at this point, Bu is, you know, obviously freaking out, having an issue, you know, starts tweeting to USPS on Twitter. And eventually Kotaku, Polygon, uh, Machinima, all these places pick it up. I, I, we were all tweeting about it on Twitter and everything. And then the United States Postal Service must have taken notice because they, they message Bu and say that the only reason they're actually contacting you is because uh, so many places online picked it up. So yes, the online uh, video game uh, media industry, YouTubers, Twitter, apparently they all have an influence still on these big companies because about two days later, all of the games magically appear and show up at Bue's house. Wow. <laughs> yes, that's, uh, that's, that's an interesting story to keep in mind. So now Bue and this other person will not be using, I guess, the United States Postal Service anymore. <laughs> But, yeah, isn't that crazy? So that's something to think about the next time you want to send very expensive things in the mail. Maybe break them up from, instead of 100 things, maybe break them up into packages of 10. <laughs> yeah, that I, I, I really couldn't imagine that. Like, I get nervous enough whenever I order a new GPU or something through the mail for my computer. Sure. So, you know, something that's more expensive than a few hundred dollars, 
Yep. I because they they're not they're usually not very kind to the packages. I don't want to say everybody because I, I'm sure there's good uh, good post office workers out there that actually you know treat their job correctly and do everything. But of course, you always get obviously bad eggs in, in every batch. And in this case, it just takes one person to chuck it onto a porch and do damage to it, or just not even deliver it. <laughs> so it's a little worrying that this would have this took so long to get taken care of considering it had no problem going all the way across obviously most of europe the united you know the ocean and then landing in the united states and then it gets lost there so um it's it's a little worrying about usps kind of uh kind of gaffing up that whole situation <laughs> um so what do you think evan i know you've had your have you've had your issues with the mail too well, yeah, but I mean, it's it's even more like I know we're talking about it like, oh, it was this much money, but it's also the historic value, the fact that there's probably so few of them left. So it's oh, there's yeah. so much more behind yeah. these it are, than just... These are PAL games. They're like Vampire's Kiss, which is very difficult to find. I actually searched some of the games on eBay, and some of them just don't even exist on eBay. The few that I found were like $500. Mega Man X3 was one of them. Yeah, so I kind of want to follow it up further than just like, oh, we found them, here you go. I want to I want to know if there's like a faction in USPS in Jersey City <laughs> that like they kicked in their door and recovered all the games or something. That probably honestly what what I think happened is if a machine did damage it the games would have still been like they would have been thrown along the floor but what they said was it was just separated from the box the box was still there and they managed to find them because in the picture that was posted they show up still in their plastic and everything and they didn't look damaged at all. So the um. box I guess was just sitting in a corner somewhere and finally they decided to go look for it. Yeah, that's the hope, I guess. Is yeah, that that's what you'd hope, right? <laughs> so let me let me jump from there, and we will talk about Microsoft because I want to try to talk about every company I can, obviously on the on this podcast. Unfortunately, Microsoft really doesn't have much to talk about. Uh, I don't know if if Evan, you even pay attention to anything Microsoft's doing right now because it's it's confused me completely with their their whole marketing their whole strategy in general to give people on pc the same games that you can get on the xbox because then there's not much of a point to buy an xbox at least that i can tell what um, little i what little i tend to browse for news like i don't see any microsoft news that's, you don't that's i, that's I have to imagine to i have to imagine you see a lot of nintendo news right now and then you see some oh, sony yeah. you see some sony news i assume that's all what you see mostly occasionally an, an indie developer or, or an event like the super nintendo being lost um Microsoft has not had much of any press recently, uh, except for two things. One, they're talking about the new Scorpio system that is supposedly going to be a six teraflop uh, beast of a system that will, I guess, bring, again, multi-platforms because Microsoft has done nothing but cancel games like Scalebound, for example. And I assume they are trying to bring what will eventually be a, a very affordable unit that is going to be very powerful into people's homes. But it sounds more and more like they're trying to build a, a Steam machine rather than a, an exclusive console. Well, I don't know if it would be a Steam machine specifically because they uh -huh. still use their crappy little Microsoft Oh, the, what is it now? It's oh, just no. the Microsoft no, Store? No. Well, I mean, they're, it's running Windows 10, so yeah, it's just it's the Windows Store. Pretty much. Yeah, but, but I mean, game-wise, like, I, I picked up Gigantic recently because that was a huge, interesting game for me, and mm -hmm. I was glad that it finally came into beta. But from what I remembered, it was supposed to be uh, Xbox One and PC only, which it currently is, mm -hmm. but it was going to stay that way because it was going to be an exclusive for the whole cross-platform thing. It was going to be, like, the spearhead of cross-platform. Okay. But Microsoft 
like I guess stopped caring about it and they let it go to some other company. So even though it's only out on PC Xbox One right now, there's plans for pretty much every other system hmm, for okay. it to be cross platform too because Microsoft let that exclusivity go because they just didn't care. Yeah, they're doing some odd odd choices. Seems like they really really want this hardware to get out there, this this six teraflop Scorpio Xbox system. Badly wanted to get out there, and I don't really know why, because they have done nothing but promise that the system will work just the same with the original Xbox One all the way up to the Scorpio. So you'll be able to play the same games. From what I could tell, the frame rates will be better, the resolutions will be better, and that's about it. They won't allow developers, from what they're saying now, maybe they change in the future, to make exclusive games for the Scorpio. They don't. I don't think they want to essentially screw over the original consumers who have then gotten the xbox to this point where they can make the scorpio and i understand that but at the same time they're going to badly obviously hamper the the scorpio's ability to to play games that you can do with a six teraflop system obviously compared to a what i think the xbox one is 1.3 teraflops which is a, a was that four and a half times the difference yeah but it's going to be weird i guess with even though games are going to be coming out on it, what are you going to be missing from that game? Like, are they going to disable functions of the game on the standard Xbox One compared to the Scorpio? Are you not going to be able to stream it from the standard Xbox One and only stream it from the Scorpio? Well, that he- kind of stuff. Here's the here's the amazing thing. Uh, fans of of the of Xbox, so they call them. You know, everybody everybody seems to have a nickname for all the different companies. Fans, uh, fans of the Xbox, I think called Xbox. What are what are Sony fans? Are they like ponies and then? What are Nintendo Jesse? Do you know what the Nintendo fans are like called? I, I have no idea. I uh, feel like it's I, like I don't think I've ever heard like a specific. Yeah, word I think it's being in, used. I think it's Nintendrones. I think is is what they. Call oh it yeah, yeah. Anyway, it, the whole fanboy thing is dumb in the first place. But anyway, uh, Xbox fans that I, I see talking about this system seem to have an interesting pipe dream where it's going to have a Ryzen CPU and it's going to have a Vega GPU for four hundred dollars. And and I can tell you now that is not the case. If they have both of those things in there, this system will be like six or seven hundred dollars minimum. Now, let's not get into the fact that Ryzen was just brought to market yesterday. Like it's it's was pre ordered yesterday, and it's now becoming available on March third. Somehow they think the Scorpio, which is coming out holiday season is going to use a CPU that's not even announced yet, because it wouldn't use the Ryzen 7. It would use, like, a Ryzen 3. There's no way I think it's going to be using that. I think it'll be using old, the older CPU, possibly the same one from the Xbox One, and then probably a newer GPU, possibly still, like, a Polaris GPU, though. Um, so I don't really know what... They, they seem to want a 4K for $400, but they don't want to upscale. If it comes out at $400, I think the Scorpio will have to upscale, and that defeats the whole point of waiting a year to bring the system out when they could have just released it alongside with the PlayStation 4 Pro. Because now now the Pro of course has that that head start for a year. I mean that's what the 360 gained on the PS3 that really helped the 360 last for as long as it did against the PS against the PS3 which eventually the PS3 of course passed it right at the end of its lifespan but I just think it's an odd time for Microsoft there's a lot of hype around Nintendo right now there's a lot of hype still around Sony just because of some of the games they've been announcing with Crash Bandicoot which by the way looks really cool and and Horizon Zero Dawn and here's here's Zelda here's Mario Kart here's Fire Emblem here's Shimigami and the, and Microsoft is doing things like canceling Scalebound and then telling us that that Phantom Dust is coming out 
Okay, and it's 480p. So why why is there a big flagship game like Phantom Dust coming out that's 480p when they're trying to push 4K visuals? Yeah, that that is a bit odd. Um, at comparing the PS4 Pro and the Scorpio, uh, I know there's a lot of people saying this, and I sort of have the same opinion that the PS4 Pro was more of a half step. Yep. And then the Scorpio is more of the next console. So I don't... Mm-hmm. You mentioned that it may have the same type of CPU that the Xbox One did. I personally, I don't see that happening. I know there was, who was it? Uh, I forgot what YouTube channel it was, but they they always make the comparison videos with graphics and mm-hmm. uh, stuff. And they were talking about how the Xbox One version of Hitman mm-hmm. was held back and the frames were dropping because of the CPU in it, because the Xbox One uh, S, or whatever the newer model of it, mm-hmm. yep, I believe they have, uh, the one has, or one of them has more powerful GPU. Well, and the, um, the, the PS4 and the Xbox One, they're, they're an interesting couple of systems, because the Xbox One technically has the stronger CPU, because they have the exact same CPU pretty much, but the Xbox One, this is back when they first came out, had a slightly higher clocked CPU, but the PS4 had a much better GPU, and it had GDDR5 RAM, whereas the Xbox One used DDR3, very similar, well, faster, I shouldn't say similar, faster than what's in, like, for example, a laptop, you get DDR3 and put it in there, because I think it was rated at, I think, 2400 megahertz, but the PS4 was using GDDR5, which is vastly superior for graphical stuff than DDR3 that the Xbox One was using, so here's the PS4 with much better visuals, they've realized that they just really need to upgrade the GPU side to get it to 4K because they're going to upscale as well. So they upgrade it from, I think it was 1.84 teraflops up to 4.2 teraflops. And now we have a system that can upscale to 4K or do native 4K with indie games or less intensive games, I should say. And the Xbox now, I'm not sure if they need a vastly superior CPU. I don't think they have to go to Ryzen to get to 4K. And I do think the CPU is where they would cut costs as opposed to the GPU. But I, I still cannot see that system being any less than $500. I just I think it's a $500 system out the gate. Yeah, that, that makes sense. If the PS4 Pro is now being charged at $400... And the Xbox Scorpio is supposed mm-hmm. to be something vastly more powerful. Then I could see it being somewhere around five hundred dollars, which is still cheaper than the oh, PS3 is. at launch. Well, yes, it, yeah, that was six hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I was there. <laughs> um, but here's here's where it gets really interesting to me. Now, Microsoft is spending a year away from possibly competing in the 4K scene to deliver something that the mainstream won't understand. So. When, like, a mom goes and buys a PlayStation 4 Pro or an Xbox Scorpio, and they look down and see the price, I'm going to tell you now, the Pro will get a price cut before the Scorpio comes out. It'll probably get down to 350 for example. And if the Scorpio comes out at 500 and they both say 4K on the box, do you think the mom's going to buy the Pro or they're going to buy the Scorpio? Uh, uh, it really depends, because it could be a situation to where they're... Like, one family or one household mm-hmm. may just be familiar with the PlayStation brand. Sure. While mm-hmm. one is familiar with uh, Xbox, and they've always been buying Xbox stuff. Kind of like how a long time ago, everybody, or at least everyone's parents, always used to refer to all video game consoles as just mm-hmm. Nintendos. 
That's true, yeah. So, uh, it, it could be something like that where the less informed person is doing whatever. And I think a lot of people, whenever they go in, they just get whatever is the newest thing. Okay, I can so see that. If, yeah. uh, if, they're, if they look at it as, well, the PS4 Pro came out a year or two ago and the Xbox Scorpio is the new console, then sure. maybe I should get the newer one. So well, it could be any of those situations. But and yeah, the, Well, the question will come down to... Yeah, the, and the question will come down to what's out with it. That's I mean, true. as yeah. we're saying, like they're kind of cutting games. They're saying that games will just come out across multiple things anyway. Uh, it's almost going to be like there's more exclusivity for the PlayStation 4. And we were there when the Xbox 360 kind of started dying down for its exclusivities. Yeah, like, I remember that. And yep. the PS3 started going up, and we had people jumping ship like almost weekly, just coming in, dropping off their 360s to see if they could swap it out for one of our... Uh, PS3 Slims that we just kept having, yep. and it was all just because of the games. Like Xbox seemed to stop caring about like, oh, here's all the new cool titles. I mean, we started getting in the interesting JRPGs, decent fighting games, all for the PS3. And it's funny, it's funny you mentioned JRPG because there was a. I don't even think it's really a rumor now because I think they pretty much confirmed it as news that apparently Phil Spencer got on a plane and flew to Japan to talk to Japanese developers about getting like JRPGs on the Xbox. So they they know that they need that kind of stuff, and obviously right now they're really hurting. I think the only real exclusives that they're going to try to push right now, I know they have Phantom Dust that that's going to be out before A3, and then they have Crackdown that they barely ever show, but they talk about occasionally. I really can't think of any other big like big flagship exclusive games that are going to the Xbox, and there's definitely nothing that's going to the Xbox, and you know not also going to the PC right now. Halo 5 is the only thing that's only on the Xbox that I can think of right now. And uh, Sunset Overdrive, that's the other one. So I just, I don't know. I mean, I'm telling people it might actually even be cheaper to build a computer because then you don't have to pay Xbox Live's fee. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, if, if that's a, if that's a, let's say the Scorpio is a five-year system, then you're paying $300 in Xbox Live fees and then you're paying $500 for a system that's, that's $800. You probably could have built a, a PC that's comparable and then taking advantage of all the awesome Steam deals that come around twice a year. Yeah, I wonder if Xbox One or Microsoft with the Xbox Scorpio is going to keep pushing the Kinect, whereas the Xbox One, when it first mm. released, you could only buy it with the Kinect. I remember and that. And then, <laughs> like, a year or two after, uh, well, for the first year or so, almost every game had some sort of Kinect functionality. Mm. Or where you could have voice commands and stuff. I remember Dead Rising had a lot of that. Oh, Dead Rising with, 3, yeah. Yeah. But with uh, the Scorpio, I'm wondering if they're going to try yet again to give... I don't know. I mean, the word is they've well, pretty much killed their Kinect support at this point. Yeah, because if you remember before the Xbox One came out, we started yeah. getting all those patents and things back mm-hmm. from people who were starting to get really afraid of the Xbox One. Because <laughs> originally, right. <laughs> originally it's, they said you were supposed to have Kinect hooked to it and on at all times when this console was on. Right. They, had a pat- they had a patent set up so that it, the, the Kinect would look around your room for things like <laughs> Coke can and stuff and then it would start targeting advertisements at you. I remember that. I remember that. (laughs) They even had the one patent that if you had a friend over at your house and you wanted to play, let's say, the new Gears of War and you owned the DLC but he didn't, he could not play the DLC with you. That is crazy. That was like in patent. I remember that. They did the same thing. Remember they did that with a movie where they were like, if you're watching a movie, it'll pick out how many people are in a room. I remember hearing about this and it would charge based on how many people are there watching it. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was absolute wow. insane. That this was a while ago. Yeah, this actually this, happened. This was yeah. yeah, this was back when they were like, oh, no CDs, everything digital. And then then they just got utterly shit on for a year. That was just by a Sony. Solid yep. year. You remember because because Sony did that thing where they were like how to share games with your friends, and then oh, he yeah, just, I, it just I remember that. <laughs> just cut to him handing uh, his buddy the game, or it was the president of Sony just hands the other guy the game. So yeah, and that that's what got <laughs> us that Blu-ray drive. That as as you and I who repaired this stuff know it, that Blu-ray drive felt like an afterthought. That thing broke so often yeah, did, for yeah. the no reason whatsoever. We had to what was it? We cleaned the dust off the roller in it to get it to read, <laughs> like. It, it did get so to that stupid. point. Yeah, you had to clean. So there's a roller that pulls a disc in for the Xbox One on the bottom, and you'd have to take that off. And if too much dust gets on it, it won't pull the disc in far enough to activate like an arm in the back that then kicks the the main unit up, that then pushes the spindle into the magnet and spins the disc. So a little bit of dust would stop the entire system from working correctly for disc based media. Yeah, so like I, I don't know. I feel like they're just constantly getting beaten while down, and then making bad choices. Like I'm hoping with him talking to people about JRPGs, like going over to Japan to figure out who they can get. I hope they don't just pull over the like garbage tier ones that are just like, yeah, it's thirty, it's three hundred hours of grinding, no real story. <laughs> well, if you and... get like a game like Tales of Vesperia, which was an awesome game by the way on the 360, yeah. great game. If they do something like that, yes, that would be awesome. I think they're yeah, trying their hardest. Pick up solid titles. Yeah, I think they're trying their hardest to 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 bring that 360 library to the Xbox one. I think that's obvious since every week or so, another game goes backwards compatible, but it's just, they need exclusives. Like they need a bad and they got to stop giving every single game to the PC. I know, I know it doesn't matter to them because you're buying windows 10. So what do they care? But, oh man, it's so tough. Yeah, but, yeah, but in terms of gigantic, who are they making more money off of the guy that's playing it on the Xbox one who has to pay a monthly fee or me who doesn't. That's that's a good point. There's that too. Yeah, that's the one thing they would lose if they go exclusive to Windows. Let's say they stop really with Xbox, which I don't think they will because despite their which by the way, if you guys don't know, investors in Microsoft really don't like the Xbox that much because it costs Microsoft a lot of money and Windows does not cost Microsoft much money after initial development because they sell it. They make business deals with companies like Dell and Acer and Asus to house Windows on their computers. So that is big, big money. Businesses, oh my gosh, if you would see the contracts that businesses would write up right now for Windows, it is insane. And uh, so here's the Xbox, which costs Microsoft a ton of money to make because they're building a machine. And then they look over at Windows, realize they can sell the game to the Windows users it, it if you're an investor you're yelling at microsoft to stop making that xbox it makes sense but i think microsoft really wants to be in the in people's homes that's the whole idea you have a box next to your tv that's you know says xbox on it so they can push obviously products to you they can push advertising which advertising on the xbox was really bad for a while i think they've kind of cleaned it up but for a while there there were ads everywhere yeah i i think there's a lot of people that even though you can play some of the games on Xbox or Windows, mm-hmm. they prefer to play it on a console. Obviously, PC has mm-hmm. all of the benefits like higher frame rates, better graphics and stuff, depending on how powerful your computer is. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people just like the simplicity of putting a game in, not having to worry about driver updates, True. what is compatible, right. and it just works. Right, but the, if, if they're willing to give in to just 
sharing the games with the computer. They, I don't think they'll ever be able to beat Sony in sales because Sony will not only get the mainstream, but they will also get people who have computers. Like, I can't tell you. I bet you there's been several times Evan might not want to admit it. He's thought about how awesome it would be to have a PS4 to play certain exclusives <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because of that. But I can tell you now, Evan, you've probably never, ever thought about buying an Xbox One. No, never. But you've probably thought about buying a PS4 before. PS4, definitely. Yeah. I was definitely so, on board with either the Wii U or the Switch. Like, I was kind of cool with either of them. And, guys, this is someone who has not bought, who has not owned a console since the PS2. Yep. Was, well, non-handheld. Yeah, right, because you're, you're, I know your your parents got the Wii for them to do bowling and stuff, right? And you ended up just on it to play the Zelda games. Yep. So, like, you have not out, out like, gone out and, like, outright buy a home console since the PS2, and that was, like, the college years. Yep, and I still miss all those games. <laughs> there were some good games on there, yeah. Well, P- PlayStation Now, man, is coming to the computer, so you can actually play some of those games on there. Yep. Um, so, I don't, I don't know. Microsoft has a lot to think about. I think they're torn right now between Windows. I think Windows is actually hurting them for their Xbox, because if they didn't own Windows, well, they wouldn't be in their position anyway to make the Xbox, but... Uh, they would have way more exclusives on the Xbox, and I think more people would buy it. But right now, if you're a PC gamer, there's really no need to buy an Xbox. You'll spend your money on the Switch, or you'll spend your money on the PlayStation, or both. Like, that's actually, it's good to have both, I think, Switch and the PlayStation if you can. But I don't, I don't know if I can recommend buying an Xbox right now, or if you're going to, at least wait for the Scorpio to see what that offers. Yeah, if if you're going to buy a console right now, I don't even think, for me personally, Xbox One, and there, there's a lot of great Xbox One games, but I don't really see a reason to just buy an Xbox One because I think the PS4, especially the Pro, and the upcoming Switch have a lot more to offer because, right. as you were saying, a lot of the first-party games are also coming to Windows to where you can just play it on your computer. You know what's funny so, is I think I would actually get more... I would actually have more value out of a 360 right now only because my computer will play most of the, obviously, Xbox One games. But there's a lot of 360 games that I can't play on my computer that I would actually play on the 360. There's, like, was there Resonance of Fate? I don't know if that ever made it to the computer. There's obviously, like, uh, uh, Tales of Vesperia. There's just so many games on the 360 that were really, really good. I mean, Skate 3 was awesome. That was on the PS3 also. But Skate 3 was so much fun. And just those games... It will come to the Xbox One. I think Skate 3 already did, but... Did did so. you hear um, there was some kind of news where... Uh, I forgot who it was. The the people that owned the brand for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, they lost the licensing for it. And Tony Hawk was promoting or like hinting towards mm-hmm. a new uh, skateboarding game that wasn't Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And yeah. at the same time, the people that was behind Skate was also hinting towards something. So it could just be like Tony Hawk's Skate 4 or something like that, which yeah, is I was, a possibility. I was thinking about that. That's what I was talking about on, a, I think it was a news wave a week or two back where I talked about that. But yeah, that's um, that would be great because you bring together Tony Hawk, who obviously has the name, the notoriety, and then you bring along Skate, who has the mechanics. Because trust me, Tony Hawk 5, while after being <laughs> patched was not a bad game, before being patched and everything, it was a bad game. The glitches everywhere, it, it was broken at times. And then you have Skate, who has just really tight mechanics with the using that right stick to do everything. And it's yeah, actually it, difficult, you know, it takes skill. So 
Yeah, and I think after like how the negative feedback that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Five got, and even the uh, the HD remake, whenever they remade like the first yes. few Tony Hawk games, I remember that the, the negative feedback that came back with that. I'm sure Tony Hawk was thinking, oh well, everybody used to love the game, so they'll love these. Mm-hmm. And then you know, there's negative feedback to the HD remake, so he maybe he thought okay, well, people didn't like that. They've already played it for the past 10, 15 years or whatever, so maybe Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5 will be the game that wins them back. It didn't do well either, mm-hmm. so maybe uh, he'll somehow make sure that Skate or whatever the next game will be is actually a good game because, you know, you're known as one of the best skateboarders in the world and right. blah, blah, blah. I'm sure he doesn't want his name brand to be brought down because of poor games. Sure. So I'm sure he and his people will do everything they can to make sure that at the very least, it may not be an amazing game, but it'll be a good game. Okay. Okay. So that's what I'm thinking about the whole situation. I I used to be a big Tony Hawk pro skater fan. So it was a good game. I mean, really on the, I remember playing it on the PS one. I played it on the 64 a lot because there's no load times, which is awesome. But I I had it on the uh, dreamcast. Nice. Yeah. See, I had a dreamcast, (laughs) but I didn't, I didn't get that on there. I ended up, um, I ended up getting it on the PS one for Tony Hawk pro skater two. And then of course three comes out on the PS two. Um, and I get it on there. But, uh, yeah, I liked 2 a lot. 2 was good. That had the, the skate park creator, if I remember right. And that was yeah. that was awesome. I would just make, like, big ramps on either side with rails going all the way down to the ground. And you just do that all day. But <laughs> that was that was really cool. And then they had the bail videos at the end where if you beat it enough times, you'd, find, you'd see people just smashing their face into the ground over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do think that would actually uh, go over very well if Tony Hawk does that. Or maybe at E3, he'll just announce the next uh, Tony Hawk ride. <laughs> It'll be something with VR. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Just, people will die in the process. <laughs> just stand on top of your Switch with your PSVR oh, no. helmet on and then... <laughs> oh, man. So let me let me ask you about um, VR, Jesse. What, what are your thoughts exactly oh, on VR I... here? I haven't had any personal experience with VR. I haven't been lucky. I, I remember there was, I forgot what it was. There wasn't any places around me that was demoing the PSVR or any of the others. But I think, I, I don't know if it was GameStop or Best Buy, but I seen a news story where there was so much interest for people to come in and try out VR that they were yeah. actually charging like it was $5 or something like that wow, to actually geez. just. Yeah, just to demo the unit, mm-hmm. but then if you ended up purchasing it, purchasing it, it would go towards $5 off of whatever it was that you were going to be purchasing or something like that. I thought that was a bit ridiculous. I wonder I wonder if that was more out of annoyance cuz I always viewed VR as one of those things where people kind of want to experience, but when they're experiencing it, they realize how limited they're going to be using it cuz yeah. all the games you ever see are like jump scare games uh semi exploration games or puzzle games you never really see anything else amazing in it like there's been hints at something like skyrim type in it but it's never 100% that direction so i mean like what else is there to do with vr other than take you through what would be considered a standard game today with the ability to look around a little yeah. bit yeah i i've used or i've heard a lot of people using the term experiences so instead of playing a game you're just going to be playing an experience uh because a lot of the games are just 
you know, they aren't fully fleshed out AAA games unless it's like Resident Evil. It's just like uh, I think Rocksteady had the Batman VR for PS4. Yes, I remember that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it wasn't a full Arkham style game. It was just you would look around and kind of teleport over, jump to different locations. And it wasn't an actual game. It was more of an experience. There was the job simulator and stuff like that as well. Well, yeah, because with the Batman thing, you lose what makes the Arkham series great. The countering system, the combat mm-hmm, system, mm-hmm. the extremely quick snap to and use of tool function for like really high-end combos. You're not doing that with a VR helmet on. No, yeah. it's no, just not, not happening. <laughs> and the, I think there's a huge push for first-person types of VR, but I think having like a third-person behind-the-back camera angle for VR would still work similar to... If you've played uh, Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask on the 3DS, whenever you L-target or used to be Mm Z-target in those games, when you did that, your character or the camera or whatever would kind of stay in one spot. But if you moved it back and forth without touching any of the buttons, the gyro or motion controls inside of it would still move the camera around behind the back. And I think something like that would be cool to where... If you're playing a game, you, you can see your character in front of you, but it, you're looking through the camera that you would always look through, and it would still give you... not. It may not necessarily be a great VR experience, but you would still get a great 3D effect from it. Yeah, but I mean, that could be weird in the sense if you get like spun around or the character kind of rolls out a little bit of the camera view and you got to actually physically spin to see what's going on. Yeah, I, I, I guess... I like the only thing I've ever thought of with VR that could be interesting is sort of along the lines of how like Last Guardian works, except you're you're playing a small character that's always on on like something much larger than you, and you're controlling it that way. So you get like a cool vision of what's around you, but you have sort of that almost feels like a third person control of something that's kind of carrying you around and doing things. So I mean, I don't know. VR just never feels like it feels more of a gimmick than motion control to me, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it it just never feels super immersive. I think is the problem. I, I mean, it it puts you in the game, but you can't really walk or move very well or anything. At least how it is now. I think when we get to the point where you walk into a room and it's like the holodeck from Star Trek, I, I won't be super impressed until then. But yeah. Well, yeah, because even the setups that try to counteract that, where you have like the zero friction flooring, um, the harnesses you have to wear to hold you in place so you can actually like spin around in one spot and then like walk along a floor that mm-hmm. doesn't move you, and wear a VR headset, like to get that set up just to experience a game. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. It's yeah, you have tethers. That interesting. You have tethers going everywhere. There's cords all over the place. <laughs> it's it's interesting, but yeah. I think I think VR has its place in a couple things. I think it would be great for um, educational purposes in, in like a classroom. I think it would work great, but for games, I think it still has a long way to go to give you that really awesome immersive experience that's still interactive. I think it's the problem. A lot of stuff still just isn't very interactive. So. We'll see. Uh, we'll see where that goes. It's going to be a while. I know uh, uh, Zuckerberg at a. Uh, I think it was. I feel like it was at like a keynote. He was talking about because obviously they, they own Oculus. He was talking about how VR is still about ten years off from being like good, and I, I tend to agree with him on that. That would put us probably what twenty twenty uh, twenty seven until we see good VR. 
Yeah, the hardware's got to catch up, but I think to a degree the creativity has to catch up too. Like, yeah, you've seen the VR-based painting program, right? No. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, is that where you can like, uh, where you have like a, you can sculpt something like in front of you, and then it'll it'll go yeah, in the CAD and stuff a, like that. A guy, a guy was using it. It was using tools in it, and he generated like a scene of something mm-hmm. that he was inside, and he was able to actually like create it in 3D, but it could still be viewed well as a 2D thing. And he was actually able to adjust stuff in the painting from within it. So, like, it was pretty cool conceptually. But, like, I don't, I don't know. It's still just the, the way yeah, we tell stories really might have to change to suit VR. It's going to be a bit. But um, I think we're coming up on about an hour now. So we're probably going to close this out soon. But, Jesse, what are your... Um, what are your final thoughts on, I guess, I want to say the Switch, since that's that's going to be obviously a big deal next week. I assume you're excited for it, but are you just going to mostly be doing Zelda pretty much all day? Yeah, I think uh, for like the first week, I'll mm-hmm. be just live streaming Breath of the Wild as much as I can. Sure. Uh, other news videos are kind of going to go to the side mm-hmm. uh, for the live streams and everything because I want to play the game immediately, but I okay. also want to create content for people so they can they're not missing out on like a week's worth of video so i think this will be like the best way to kind of do both sure and then uh the motion i'm feeling right now more than anything for the switch uh obviously excitement but a lot of jealousy because (laughs) i've been seeing all of these people uh like obviously you know ign all those places are going to be getting their switches but then i seen some of my friends that do youtube videos like hmk earlier posted a video he does videos similar to what you and i do talking about news and usually zelda or kingdom hearts Mm -hmm. focused so he's been you know digging in trying to find every bit of information about zelda that he can and earlier he posted a picture of like the switch home screen on his tv with breath of the wild in the background oh so he has uh, oh he has a switch Yeah, I guess a few days ago, the first round of Switches went out so, to everybody, and now the a, second round is going I'm a out little, to like I'm the a little smaller confused. people. I'm a little confused by this, because I see some channels that are small. Like, I see some that have, like, 7,000 subscribers, and they're getting a Switch. So, I'm a little confused by that. Now, I don't think Nintendo likes uh, me very much, because <laughs> I, <am, laughs> I am critical about them, especially their creators program. But I did sign up for it. And I sent them an email and they didn't respond back. <laughs> so I then I, I put this out on Twitter. I just so what I did was after I didn't hear back from them, I said, OK, so I sent them a picture of me standing there just holding a screwdriver, staring at the camera. And then I just sent them that. And then I just put three, three down below it in the date. And then yeah. I sent it to them because that switch is coming apart, whether they like it or not. <laughs> the, the night it comes out, like I'm going to get the thing. I'm bringing it back here. I'm going to unbox it. I'm going to turn it on, make sure it works, turn it back off, and I'm taking it apart along with the Joy-Cons and dock and everything. So, Just to see basically what's inside of it. Yes, that is the idea. <laughs> High-def pictures everywhere. I want to see what's inside the Joy-Cons. I want to see what's inside the Pro Controller, everything. Yeah, so. see, the, the, the craziest thing that I've seen is I know Nintendo, uh, you know, they're sending it out to all of the larger people to make sure the people with the most uh, viewers will be able to promote it or whatever. But one thing that drove me absolutely nuts is uh, if you all know who Kinda Funny is, the ex-IGN people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, well, um, there's five of them. Uh, 
the two that were looking forward to the Switch the most was Tim and Greg, and the rest of them were kind of iffy about it. And then after the presentation, most of the people on Kind of Funny had negative stuff to say about it. They were like, well, I'm looking forward to Zelda, but I'm not really looking forward to the Switch itself. Right. And they received a Switch console, and then later on they were talking about how they might get a second console. So for me, I understand Nintendo wants to send it out to people that have a huge following, but why would Nintendo choose to send it out to people that are just going to give it negative feedback or have spoken out against it? Right. Whereas they could send it to, uh, like, uh, one of my friends, Mossies, who runs, like, the larger Zelda website, Zelda Informer and Zelda Dungeon. You know, he has 125,000, like, more subscribers than HMK, who now has the Nintendo Switch. He has more subscribers to him and a lot of other people that have received the second round of shipments. Mm -hmm. But he still hasn't received one when... That would be the ideal fan base or target so, that you would want to send to someone. So, so I, I just think it's cool. Weird. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain a few, couple things to you real quick, Jesse. I've, I've done a lot of research on this, and I'm a big statistics person, so I deal with the stats a lot. And I figured out pretty quickly that, also talking to other YouTubers who have dealt with this, Nintendo seems to be a very weird company when it comes to sending this stuff out. Now, you mentioned HMK, for example who is, uh, they've done a lot of Nintendo stuff, right? I, I kind of looked at their channel yeah. a little bit. So I, I've, I've done things like, again, I like to look at other channels. I've, I've done a lot of research to try to grow this channel a lot. So I do things like Social Blade a lot. I don't know if you do that at all. To check out other channels and see yeah, how they're yeah. doing. And I've looked at a couple channels that, uh, for example, got Switches that I've seen. And I've seen a couple of them. And you go on Social Blade and it's like, oh, they had... Uh, like 500,000 views last month or something like that, right? And and that's good. And then I look at other ones and they have like 100,000 views for the last month. And I'm like, I'm not, I just don't know how they're getting, they must have an insider at Nintendo or something. Yeah. Because uh, the amount of views that, for example, Spawnwave Media got last month is very, cl- I don't want to say exactly how many it is, very close to how many HMK got last month. Very close. Uh, it's about double or triple the other person I talked about just now at 500,000. So yeah. I don't know how. I know Nintendo does not like certain channels. Uh, I Boogie, Boogie, 2988 did not get a Switch. I don't know how that didn't happen um, because he gets, I have no problem saying this, he gets about 8 million views a, a month. And he didn't get a Switch. So I was very confused about that. And then I remembered uh, people like Boogie, people like myself, have gone on record and said that Nintendo's YouTube policies are bad. So I don't think Nintendo likes that. Uh, I do think that they pay attention a lot to YouTube other than claiming people say, I don't know how, I don't know how you go about it, Jesse, but if I do anything with Nintendo's uh, footage, they then claim the, the video. Yeah, uh, a good way to get around that is... Especially, you know, talking about Zelda, you have to show gameplay of Zelda or else people are just going to be looking at a blank screen or me talking to the camera, which a lot of people don't want to see me. They want to see Zelda. So Mm -hmm. uh, a good way that I can get around that is if you edit up each clip to shorter than 10 seconds and Mm -hmm. then jump to a different clip. It's not. It doesn't run long enough for Nintendo to catch it as uh, one of the copyright claims or anything. You can kind of get around that. 
Really? Yeah, I talked to Commonwealth, and he was telling me about that too. Uh, but I didn't really pay attention too much. So it's yeah. ten seconds. I'll remember that. I will remember yeah, that. I also want to say that I, whenever I was talking earlier, like saying, "Oh, I'm jealous of HMK and kind of mm-hmm. funny and stuff." I want to say that kind of funny is my number one go-to YouTube channel that I always watch. I watch almost everything from them. So it's mm-hmm. not me hating on them that they got a switch. It's mm-hmm. just me curious about what kind of uh, like how Nintendo goes about choosing right. how who's getting a Switch yeah. and who doesn't. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you can you can be frustrated at it and still like them. I, I think we all understand that. Um, I, it's just, it is an odd choice on Nintendo's part for who they send it to. I think if they want to reach a lot of eyeballs, you send it to, say, Boogie, for example, instead of sending it to somebody who has like a much lesser audience with like 10,000 subscribers that might not even do the job because all Boogie would have to do is put Francis on camera with the Switch and it would get a guaranteed 300 to 400,000 views just like that. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure. They they made the right choice with some places. Game Explain obviously deserves a Switch because they do some very good coverage of stuff and they explain stuff well. So <laughs> I think there's a lot of places that do deserve it. I think there's places that have question marks as to why they have a Switch. But it's not going to matter after the third because we'll all have the Switch then. Well, most yep. of us will. Most of us will. I don't want to say everyone because there are some people oh, yeah, who won't yeah. be able to get it. But like, I feel bad for those people. But, like, there's channels that do serious dirty work to um, make the Switch better. For example, there's a lot of places that will do um, accessory guides or stuff like that to try to help people pick out accessories. Um, I actually did one of those videos recently. And you're just trying to help people pick out accessories, you know, for the Switch. And it's like, that's something that Nintendo should get behind because you are effectively selling stuff with them. So it just seems, yeah. it seems weird to me sometimes, but Nintendo's going to be Nintendo and that's, that seems to be the way it is. I have a feeling they probably didn't send one to angry Joe either because angry <laughs> Joe has been like at the, the forefront of this Nintendo, uh, this Nintendo thing. They, they I don't know if you saw his, not his most recent video. It was a, a while, while ago. ago. Yeah. They, they like shut down a huge percentage of his videos yes. because they had Nintendo. Yes. Well, he, he went on record and said that he's going to do a review for Zelda if they claim it, he's going to sue them and take them to court. Wow. So I'm going to be interesting what happens there because uh, what they claim in most videos is considered fair use. So Angry Joe should win in court and it might cause Nintendo to revise their entire creators program. Yeah, what wasn't there? Who was it? Jim Sterling that just had yes. a huge legal battle that was complete bullcrap. Yeah, it was bad because that's the thing. If people don't like what you have to say, and this isn't what Nintendo does because they just claim for their intellectual properties being on camera. This was something where somebody did not like his review, so they sued him for $10 million. Yeah. Which is ridiculous because if you give a bad review, you should not be worried about uh, a company coming after you for giving your opinion on camera. Yeah, and not, so. I think it would be one thing if someone just went out and absolutely hated something that most people like. Like if a game's getting tens everywhere and you don't like it, mm-hmm. that that's fine. That's you know your opinion, but it makes it worse that the game that the company that was suing them, the game was actually a really bad game. Like right. It was well, like well, well, didn't that someone, guy? Was this the same guy that sued like tons of places and then yes. was eventually oh. told to sit down and shut up? And then he yeah, this was it. awesome. This is a uh, digital homicide. Their best move ever. Yeah. Uh, Steam. You know how people can go on Steam and review games. Um, he sued a hundred Steam user reviews. Yeah, it wasn't like <laughs> he, he wanted. 
18 million yes. or something like that from how, steam because of bad ridiculous. reviews so you know steam so steam turns around and just kicks the game off steam and tells them to go home basically yeah <laughs> and that there, gets there was out. uh there was another thing whenever it was thrown out of court and they ruled in favor of jim they said or they ruled it out with prejudice which is like if they didn't do that then they could kind of reform the lawsuit and try to take it back but the court was basically like, don't do this again. Right. Like, yes. What you were doing is completely wrong. Yes. So what's interesting is now they can use that case. They can use that example to look back on if there's ever another time that somebody gets sued for their opinion. So that's, that's actually a good yeah. thing that it happened. Technically it's, it's probably not good because Jim had to pay. I'm sure Jim Sterling had Tons to pay quite a bit of money for uh, lawyers, but still, you know, it's yeah. at least he got there, thrown there's in. always that. There's always that chance in the back of your head. Like, you know, even though he was in the right there's always the chance that he could have lost. And yes. just the thought of like the money they were asking for was completely ridiculous. Well, it yeah. It would have ruined him. I mean, there's no, it would have ruined anybody. It's $10 million. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, that's not good, but, um, so we have, uh, I guess wrapped up our first, first spawn cast here. Yeah. Which is awesome. spawn cast. Yes. When, I got when... a bit off topic. For huh? oh, some no. Of it, so. no, that's fine. I think a lot of people like to see behind the, the curtain with that kind of stuff too, with Nintendo's creators program. I've talked about it at length on, on camera before. So I think, uh, I think everyone's pretty much up to date on it now, but, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it went over well here. And I think everyone at this point is just waiting for next, next Thursday night or next Friday, I guess for some, maybe, maybe you'll get it Thursday morning. So we'll see. Um, but, uh, Jesse, you want to, you want to point them in the direction of your channel? Uh, Twitter, YouTube, wherever you look, everything's at Game Over Jesse or YouTube.com slash Game Over Jesse. Just whatever the website is, Game Over Jesse. After that, you'll be able to find me there. Specifically on YouTube, uh, like I just said or mentioned earlier, it's all Zelda news or Nintendo. Sometimes we break away from Zelda, look at other games like Mario and stuff. And then, uh, yeah, basically it's just a big place. If you're a fan of Zelda, go there. There's tons of people in the comments that you can talk to about whatever you want to find out about Zelda. There's a good small little community there that'll help you out. And with my videos, it's basically like this to where it's just myself and others talking about Zelda or talking about whatever news is coming up. That's awesome. That's good. That's good. So uh, you should also be able to find this on iTunes and make sure you are SoundCloud as well. Fingers probably. crossed. Yeah, I know. Right. We'll see how that goes. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm like a 70 year old man in a 29 year old body. So um, but in this case, we will put that on iTunes, put that on SoundCloud. So make sure you give us a review and rating on there. If you could, that'll really help us out. We would appreciate it. But for now, I am John at Spawn Wave Media. Evan is also at Spawn Wave Media. But Evan, what's your art channel as well? Uh, Kimmerick's project. We'll have to put it in the actual description. I'm guessing for yep. the YouTube video. At yeah, the we also least. we should also have a slide here that you are looking at if you're on YouTube that has uh, Jesse's information and Evan's information on the on the front cover as well. You should be looking right at it actually. But yeah, it's basically that anywhere really. YouTube, Twitter. I think I have that same thing for Instagram and Twitch. Okay, very good. And with that, that should do it for today. And we will try to make this either a weekly or bi-weekly, depending on, like I said, if we can get other people on here. Otherwise, it would just be Evan and myself talking about different things in gaming. So definitely look towards Spawnwave Media for different things. I'm sure the Switch is coming out. We'll be taking it apart. And I'm sure you'll see all kinds of cool Zelda stuff from Jesse over at Game Over Jesse. And maybe we'll get fortunate and Evan can do up a, an inaugural Zelda uh painting or, or picture or, or whatever you want to do in Photoshop there, Evan, or um, 
What do you, what I got are you, the, what are you I, working? I got the Link one working right now. Well, oh, cool. We have, I have that convention coming up, Galacticon. Yes, Galacticon. Delaware. So I have the four prints I'm doing, which hopefully I can finish up before then, of sort of fantasy reimaginings of some characters. And with Link and Kid Icarus, it's sort of like not that hard. <laughs> so with cool. Link, I did like an older Link because like what happens after he saves the princess. So okay. Okay. I kind of wanted him to be that type of character. But then I also did a fantasy version of Samus as kind of like fully armored knight that uses cannons. And I have a Mega Man, sort of like a mechanical heavy knight. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Cool. So that'll... uh. That'll do it for our first episode of Spawncast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at, at Spawn Wave Media, and we will see you guys next time.